How's everybody to doing tonight? Are you uh are you ready to receive your dose of taint, my cohorts? Are you uh ready to dole out a good dollop of disdain? I don't know, taintiness. Will be eventually. Okay, good. Let's get there to it. Let's get to it. Let's get right down to the brass tacks about what we're doing tonight. I hope your ears are primed and your body is ready for what we're about to lay down upon you. All right. I hope you are I hope you are prepared for the level of just sheer tainty goodness that we will be dispensing tonight because not only do we love talking about the wheel of time because i mean that's kind of our shtick it's what we do it's what we do like and you know some people are like oh yeah you guys talk about the wheel of time every week and i'm like yeah no it's more like every day it's more like we talk about the wheel of time every day but we record it once a week and sometimes you know additional sprinklings here and there and uh we've talked about a a, a breadth of different subjects one of them uh you know being some of the things that we didn't like about it some of the things that were that we probably you know could have done without but you know in the end we still established that it did still add something to the story well today we decided that we're going to switch that pendulum over to the other side of things. Because we can't leave that bad taste in your mouth. We've got to leave this bad taste in your mouth. And that is things we love about the Wheel of Time. That's right. Tonight we're discussing things that we love about the Wheel of Time. Now the challenge with tonight is going to be narrowing it down to a four-hour episode. Because it's going to be real difficult. Um, and you know, I hope you guys, <laughs> I, lo I love how both you guys are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Four hour episode. Yep. We're going with it. <laughs> but that's going to be the challenge. That's going to be the challenge is, uh, is, is pulling it in and, uh, and finding just a couple things that we, we, that are standouts that we love the most. So, but before we get into that, should we, uh, should we protect those who may not be fully affiliated with the ways of the wheel. Oh, the I was just going to say we should probably we should probably plug and we should probably introduce ourselves. Oh yeah! Hey, everybody out there, my name. I is was just Josh. going with the flow, man. I was just like, <laughs> if they've somehow made it to season three, episode thirty-seven, and don't know who we are then it's probably honestly for the best. So <laughs> but, yeah. the gentleman you've heard talking uh, this entire intro and doing a fantastic job at doing the speaking of the English is our very own Sorvon Mahale Josh. Very nicely done. That's me. That's me. That's me. Thank you. You, Thank you, you. And your, you and your Deadpool shirt. The gentleman, the gentleman who just introduced the gentleman who did the intro uh, is your Bajan. Yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. And then the uh, the gentleman you just heard speaking, who is introducing the man who introduced the man who introduced the show, 
is Daniel, the Amon Khan Mahale. Accept no substitutes, ladies and gentlemen. Big round of applause. Big round of applause. <laughs> also, it looks as though Amon Khan Mahale Daniel is uh, he's filming live on location tonight. This is, that must uh, be that's Natrum's burrow behind you before <laughs> the thing that we haven't given a spoiler warning for, right? He, he's at the Natrum's Barrow Memorial site. <laughs> or, is, or is that Natrum's Bungalow? I'm not sure. Natrum's it's one of the two. Bungalow. <laughs> Natrum's Bungalow. <laughs> no, it's actually a very nice Mexican restaurant that I am recording from because I am on a road trip. Uh, my current leg is from Salt Lake City to North Butte, Nebraska. North nice. Butte. Um, and North Butte. Well, I'm halfway there. Excellent. Yeah, no, um, I did I did have Daniel stop by to inspect the uh, the taint peppers for the taint sauce. Uh, if you want to, you need to go to our YouTube, check out our shorts or our TikTok, or look up hashtag taint watch on either of those, and you'll see our progress videos. And now that I've got the Amon Khan Mahail seal of approval, uh, it is time to start saucing. So, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I saw the TikTok earlier today, and when y'all were chatting in one of our chats earlier about connectivity issues, I was like, I've already seen the TikTok, you're not bullshitting me. I know he's there. <laughs> and uh, well, well, I was I was incorrect, yeah. No, he took off uh, shortly after making that video. I put, I put some foods in his belly, and then he drove away happy. Also, I oh, apologize. It's actually not North North Platte. Uh, get your geological formations I know. straight. Oh, God. Well. Uh, well, we'll all be taking a trip. Uh, as you're listening to this, we will have started that trip the previous Wednesday. But for us, it's this coming Wednesday, Thursday time frame. We're all going to be in Columbus, Ohio, or as you're listening to the slide publicly, um, we are in Columbus, Ohio, and I could be very wrong about that timeline. <laughs> no, I'm right. I'm right. This comes out on the 8th. Yeah. As you're listening we will to the not slide, be there yet. Yeah. And depending on what time you're listening to this live, uh, some of us may be elbow, knee, balls deep in panels, because uh, your boys... We'll be doing panels at WatCon 2022. Panel. Yeah. So Daniel, uh, we're each doing two panels. Daniel, do you remember uh, what panels and times you're doing yours? Um, I will admit that I do not remember what time each panel is, um, but I will say the first one is the Great Stump. And the second is five minutes in heaven for episode seven and eight. Yeah. So the great stump one is going to be Friday at 3.50 p.m. Eastern. And the five minutes in heaven for episode seven and eight is going to be Saturday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. And if you're not able uh, to catch those panels, if you're there in person, um, or if you're not there at all and you've gotten yourself a virtual membership, all of these panels will be recorded and you'll be able to watch them after 
uh, after the con. Uh, they'll be working on uploading all of them as the con is going on. Uh, Josh, do you remember yours? I do. Whilst my cohort, the Armand Carmahale, is at the Great Stump, I shall be discussing the finer points and deeper currents of the more refined lore of why we hate Gawain. Why is it important to hate Gawain? And that's going to be same thing, July 8th at 3.50 p.m. And then the uh, next one that I've got is, oh boy, Five Minutes of Heaven as well. Um, but mine is episodes five and six, right? Yep. Yeah. And that'll be that'll be Saturday, July 9th at 2.10 p.m. Yeah. So we'll be and discussing, we'll be doing a little deep dive in those episodes of season one of The Wheel of Time. Yeah. And while uh, Josh and Daniel are running a fun competition to see who gets more people at their panel uh, earlier Friday, I will be waiting until Friday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern, and we'll be doing a post-canon speculation panel. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then the next day, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring, and I'm going to compete playfully with Josh's panel <laughs> attendance uh, as my panel uh, or the panel I'm on on Saturday is also at 2.10 p.m. And we will be t doing Watt IRL uh, talking about some Wheel of Time culture stuff uh, and, and real world uh, inspirations to some extent. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're already talking about how we're going to pare all of this down. So if you're there, uh, come and please check out the panels that we're on. Well, check out any of the panels. I can't just advocate for ours because, well, I can. I don't care. You can. Come and listen to our panels. You can you can watch and listen to all the other panels recorded later on. <laughs> but no, come also, and find us panels you enjoy. I have a replenished my supply of Black Tower podcast wristbands. So if you can't see, I'm holding a bag right now in front of the camera. We have three of these bags. Come to WatCon, get a wristband. And I believe Other we plan on continuing our con tradition of maybe giving away some coins. Or do we agree to do that? Or am I talking out of my, my bunghole? I mean, you always do that, but I believe, yes, we agreed to do something along those lines. Even if there's not coins, there's definitely going to be swag. But maybe we don't know. Maybe you just have to come and find out. Stand a pretty good chance, though, so, because uh, we'll be all over the place, all around the place. Oh, and as of today, uh, so there's three breakout rooms for WatCon where uh, main scheduled programming, or not necessarily main, but scheduled programming will be happening. Uh, the three breakout rooms for panels. And then there's also going to be a fourth room that's going to be dedicated primarily to live recordings of different shows and podcasts and things of that nature. We will be occupying that room on Friday from uh, 9 p.m. Eastern until <clears throat> until at least nine until at least 10:30, uh, more likely than not, maybe even 11. We'll just see how things go. So if you're there and uh, you're not going to go do some um, some poker or whatever else they've got going on in the game room, I'm just assuming poker because it's a game room and I know somebody's bringing cards. Um, Come on, swing by, and we invite everybody to come and crash the live recording. Um, so if you're listening to this 
the night of the 8th and you're in Columbus, Ohio at WatCon, uh, come on down. We're waiting for you. Absolutely. I'll be at the bar. I don't know where the bar is, but that's where I'll be. Uh, there's a cash bar in the atrium. Boom. I thought, Boom. I'm not going to lie. I thought you were about to say there's a Casbah. And I was like, I'm going to rock the Casbah. I heavily considered it. Uh, but otherwise other than all that stuff if you do happen to miss that live recording it will definitely we will have it recorded uh so you can catch it later on once it's edited and posted and you can find that on our youtube and if you want an easy way to get all that just go to blacktowerpod.com it's way easier than searching us anywhere else um even though you can do that too however you find us we do greatly appreciate it um indeed but yeah i think that's it for plugs right WatCon's the big one. Do not miss it. If you miss it. Oh, yeah. I've also got beer coasters that say flicker, 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 flicker. <laughs> We're having fun with this, guys. It's I should take what one. You do. I should take one to my shirt just to see if uh, someone com- compliments it again. Uh, someone like, oh, I don't someone know, the tweeter of chaos. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Curse me in my veteran-style hearing. Right? That doesn't mean it's used to hearing. That means it's used to not being able to hear. But let's go ahead and protect the folks um, as we get ready to talk about tonight's much happier topic than the last style. You know what? Here, here, listen to the fancy words. (laughs) This is your Black Tower podcast. Wheel of Time spoiler warning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to spoilers, but this is a beginning. If you continue to listen, you may be cursed with the knowledge yet to come. These curses may include knowledge that you are, in fact, just a farm boy. Drinking one glass of wine now leads to mustache pulling and a hell of a hangover. Resigning that you will never be as good with the ladies as your friends are. Realizing Andrel is bae, regardless of your gender or sexual orientation. The inability to stop tugging your braid in anger, even if you don't have hair. And understanding that the word taint is simultaneously a noun, adjective, and verb. Discovering you have more titles than actual names. The BDE, also known as Big Dragon Energy, becomes undeniable. Finding yourself promising to read a new spring and never getting to it. An uncontrollable urge to argue over inconsistent pronunciations. Knowing that hating Gon is a responsibility, not a privilege. Again, there are no beginnings or endings to spoilers, but this is a beginning. You have been warned. It's absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. I love it. Thank you, Registered Nerd. Spoiler warning. Thank you, Registered Nerd. If you are a patron and you want to do a spoiler warning for us, please feel free to do so. And if you do one or do another one that you want us to potentially include or use, blacktowerpod at gmail.com. Record it, send it. And if you want music or something, add it to it. Uh, We can work on that and find something uh, to add to it if you want it to sound all mysterious or, or we'll, we'll figure something out but oh, yeah. um, we definitely welcome them can never have enough spoiler warnings because uh, we try to cycle yeah. through all of them yeah but uh 
Yeah. We have a topic for tonight. We do. That Josh already introduced. That I did. Well, let's get happy. <laughs> All right. Because if Daniel, baby ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. What is a scene or part of the Wheel of Time that you love more than anything? What do you love more than a pig loves corn? What do you love more than pandas love bamboo? What do you love more than cats love murder? All right, so I think I'm actually going with uh, the scene where all of the um, Two Rivers villagers are, well, it's, it's kind of like two parts, but it's in the same scene. Um, and that is the, the twofold of in the Two Rivers, they're being attacked by Trollocs. There's a huge battle that they don't think they can win, and they've actually sent away a number of people including Fail. Um, Perrin is leaving the battle or leading the battle. He definitely doesn't think he can win it. The White Cloaks aren't helping because they're a bunch of buttholes. Um, and they decide uh, to go ahead and put all of the women and children in the center of town. Um, and it's two moments, effectively, which is uh, Mistress Luhan going and fighting with the men which is a great scene. And then, of oh, course, yeah. looking at the white cloaks and being like, you suck. Um, and then also, Fail showing up with a bunch of other yes. uh, two rivers folk, um, even though she had been sent away to make sure that she didn't die in the battle. Because the, the people from Edmonds Field definitely think that they can do enough damage to the Trollocs that they're not necessarily just going to go run a bulldozer over everybody else in the two rivers, but they don't think they're making it out of Edmonds Field. Um, right. So both of those moments are two moments that I absolutely love, which is slightly humorous because Faye is like my second least favorite character, but it is a fantastic <laughs> moment um, and it is a fantastically written scene. Especially because it's one of those things where you really don't see it coming. Um, like, even on a reread, I've, like, yeah. looked and been, like, it really does not telegraph this that much. I mean, other than the fact that, on some level, Fayil never really does what she's told. So sending her <laughs> away means that she's coming back. Uh, but that's... That, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, if there's one thing you can count on Fail to do, it's the opposite of what she's been told to do. That's a really good point. No, I really like that scene too. Um, Tell me if she's told that by a person named Perrin Ibarra. At right. that point, it's like a hundred percent chance she's doing the opposite. Um, anybody else, it's like eighty percent, maybe ninety percent, but like Perrin, it's off. Um, I think I think part of what uh, I love about that particular scene is the juxtaposition of the professional soldier white cloaks that are standing by in the village green, just sitting there, and the women and children noticing 
we're not going to do this. The, the men are not going to do this. They're not. That They can't. And they all sort of go, okay, fine. If you guys aren't going to do anything about it, we are. And they jump up. Oh, my bear. Yeah. Well, and I love, too, that, like, even kind of Perrin has this kind of moment where he's like, you know, I need people over there. And all of a sudden, like, women start going over there. And he's like, I need people over there. And women start going over there. And he's like, where are all these women coming from? <laughs> and he, he, and I think he even stops and asks. He's like, what are you guys doing down here? And they go, oh, yeah, the white cloaks aren't doing shit. So we came down to help because you guys need it. Uh, <clears throat> oh, it's, a, it's a really good scene. like, Because this is also... Uh, one of the reasons I well, I mean, I love it for all the reasons you guys are saying as well. But this is one of the few times we get to see the build up to battle. Uh, yeah. We get to see the two rivers, uh, well, Amon's field fortifying itself. So you get and you have all of these farmers and sheep herders. And mm. I'm imagining that, you know, uh, that Sin Bowie was out there. Sim, yeah, I think it was Sim, Sin Bowie, right? It's the Thatcher, right? Yeah, just see them like putting up these spike walls, and Simbu is like, "I'm helping," and he's out there like thatching all of the like all the palisades for no fucking reason. Um, <laughs> and they're just getting all of this, all this preparation right. And it's you have this mix of obviously Tam being there with his experience from the other honor army. Um, you have Perrin there just trying to go off instinct. You have Fael who. As much as I give men so much credit for her off-page contributions, I don't give file enough, and I'll, I'll be upfront about that. But I know she was in the background being like, what we need to do is put up a bunch of pointy sticks and make them all come through one spot. It's called a fatal funnel. When we funnel all their forces through there, their numbers won't count for shit. I learned this from the movie 300. Because <laughs> Viola's watched 300. She has. Um, that's that's fact. But you get this She's look into like extreme. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, you get this look into like battle preparedness and some form of strategy forming with the knowledge of a pending attack, and I love it because we don't really get that uh, from anywhere else. Um, the most we get otherwise is like assembling forces on, I don't know, uh, some field of Marilor. You know, something, you know, non important that happens later on in the series. Yeah, non essential. Non essential. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm partially in like panel ish mode. I actually just realized that it has one of the other parts that I actually really love, uh, which is parents dealing with people who are smarter and better at preparing and more knowledgeable than him but still need his go-ahead because they keep on coming to him not being like hey Perrin what should we do because we're clueless they keep on going to him and being like hey Perrin can we do this Perrin's like yeah actually sounds like a great idea that I never would have thought of please do that and they're like thanks for thinking of it Lord Perrin and he's like that's not <laughs> Yeah, uh, and we had this brought up in our live chat too. Uh, this is something that it's it's a more broad like theme from the Run the Will of Times that I like. Uh, but uh, 
this idea that is kind of built into and is is being broken down slowly but surely in our world uh, that that women can't hold their own in a fight or shouldn't fight. Um, and we see that religiously shattered in the wheel of time, oh, yeah. uh, whether it's, it's so the, good. well, yeah, whether it's the eyes to die, uh, whether it's uh, historical, like heroes, like Brigida, uh, whether it's the maidens of the spear, the Fardar's Mai, or uh, the, uh, the female inhabitants of Amon's field. And in fact, all of the two rivers, um, it is religiously broken down uh, that anybody that has a burning and committed, you know, will to fight for what they what they want has that ability to fight. And, you know, it's kind of like a, uh, I don't know why I just thought of this comparison, but everybody's seen Ratatouille, right? Anybody, can, you know, anybody can cook. Anyone it's kind can of the same cook. Area. Yeah. You know, and they explained it later on the movie that it's like, it's not that just anybody can cook, it's that a good cook can come from anywhere. Um, and you get the same thing with troops. You can have an amazing troop come from anywhere, any walk of life. I mean, how many people have joined like worldwide militaries and they came from like lives of poverty or lives of, um, of just pure oppression or they came from lives of, of crime and they join a yeah. military and it turns their life around and they get a second chance at life. Um, so yeah, good good fighters can come from anywhere. It's true. So D and D teaches it's that well. True. I love to use like the unsuspecting commoner, like farmer or whatever, as uh, the guy that suddenly you know fucks up your entire party because y'all decided to piss off the wrong person. <laughs> to where now like my party is afraid to like talk to a stable boy the wrong way. Well, and and you know the, there's always the the uh, the concept that someone defending their home against you know their backs against the wall uh you you know you will die or you know so you better just give it your best and uh the emmett's fielders have that and it, it's just such a desperate moment and you really do get a sense of you know kind of going back to that story of menethrin and you and it's such a great callback to that where the men, the women, the children, everyone gave it their all and not a foot was given to the invading Trollocs that wasn't soaked in the blood of Menethrin. And it so was thinking their story. Callback. They fight for three, three or four days before uh, the adult citizenry of Menethrin rushes in. Cause they're like, they need help. Yeah. And then they last yes. for like what? Another like 10 a days weeks? Yeah, or something like that yeah well it's it's uh, i think it's ultimately by like the 14th day um the armies of Manethrin finally falls and that's whenever um uh the queen yeah. finally goes you know what uh trump card <laughs> it's time for it's time for the uh the final flash attack <laughs> yeah Elisande. yeah there we go i didn't want to butcher her name because i was like no, I just wasn't doing it. She did too much to have me butcher her name. That's right. That's right. So good. What about so good? What about you, Josh? Pick a you know, pick up a loved moment or a loved moment or an enjoyed moment or whatever modifier we're using for that. I will I mean. say I, I get exactly what you mean. 
and my a moment that I just really really loved um, that to this day like I have an impression in my mind of reading through the first time was the cleansing of Saidi and the there's there's two things that I love about it first off I'd been saying from the beginning of the books, like, oh, they've got to figure out a way. They've got to figure out a way. They've got to figure out a way. Um, And then, of course, they do. And it is this just gigantic battle royale. It's, you know, utilizing more of the... Yeah, that's right. It's utilizing more of the power than anybody's ever utilized and ever in the history of ever. Um. And the book ends with Ashaman seizing Saidin and going, it's clean. It's clean. And it's like this huge battle ends in a quiet exclamation that they did it, that they were successful. And I love it. I love it so much. Um, the second aspect of this scene that I absolutely love is that the next book is kind of like a flashback, right? Goes back in time and covers point of views from other people while Sidene is being cleansed, while this battle is raging. And every person in the world who can channel is going, what the fuck? is happening over there no really that is not okay (laughs) someone is channeling way more than they should be able to or a whole group of someone's are channeling way more and you know people start sending scouts after everything is over with and all they find is a gigantic ass crater where Shidar Logoth used to be. <laughs> well, it's crazy. They're getting three. They're getting three sensations at uh, well, the sensation from three places at once. Yeah, they're getting. Well, men are getting it uh, from uh, from uh, Tremontian. Uh, so this is that village that Rand and Matt and them were going by, and there was this oh, massive right. statue being unearthed holding a crystal sphere. So male Chandlers are getting this sense from uh, from Kyrian, which is where Tremonsian uh, is located in, and they're getting it from Shadar Logoth, you know, the stay the fuck away from place. And then female Chandlers are getting it from, from like way across the fucking ocean, like in Tremel King and in Shadar Logoth. So you have this collective. Uh, world of people that are like what's going on and then around the statues it's described as you have all of these people that they don't know what's going on but they can see the the crystal spheres shining brilliantly and they're all going what the hell is happening yeah and with Trimble king you're having the um oh what is their name it starts with an a they make all the porcelain uh amayar no no the amayar the peaceful amayar Oh, that, that's right. Um, that's right. That reside on Trimble King as part of the Seafolk. Uh, well, the, the land-based Seafolk. This is their Mayan calendar. This is their, it is the end times. It's time yep. to drink the Kool-Aid. Because yep. that's what they do. 
Uh, so it's such a notable event that an entire. Wait. Huh? Oh, I just said no, flavor aid because it's flavor aid. Oh, really, yeah. really funny to me that they didn't even use Kool Aid. They used discount Kool Aid. Oh yeah. At least the, uh, Amayar uh, had the decency to use real. I just right. made myself sad. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're fine. So, sorry <laughs> if I ask you to repeat a bunch of stuff because like the connection for me is kind of dropping in and out a little bit. I want to make sure I don't yeah. miss a snippet of what you have to say. Um yeah, but like who, again, like kudos to you to making recording from the room. <laughs> like no nobody can fault you. Like you made a recording on a road trip. Like, come on. Yeah. The real MVP. But I am happy I to do so. It's just it's a little unstable. Oh, a little unstable, just like the rest of us. My best friends are unstable. That's right. Um, but no, it's just a, it's this incredible event that for so many people like that aren't Chandlers, they can see something incredible is happening. Um, to the point of it being again like a hey, like a Y two K, a Mayan twenty twelve scenario for an entire uh, subculture of, of people. Yeah, and I believe it actually was. It resulted in the. Did it melt both of the access keys for the Chonin call? Yes. That's a and, lot of power. They hint at uh, other keys existing, but I don't know that they ever find another one. Well, uh, and this is well. I don't think it's oh, one, but it's twofold because it's. Um, first of all, actually, uh, only one of them that melts, um, cause one of them is still fine. One of them melts. Um, and then they also suggest that there's other keys out there and it's also suggested in a one-off throwaway line that since they can make new Terangrial now, that they may be able to recreate the female choke. Yeah, which um, is terrifying. Yeah, um, well, this is also another like unique example that we get. Uh, the forces of light, the defenders of Rand and Nynaeve, not including them in the count. The forces of light outnumber the forces of shadow. Just, like if you're going to go like percent, like decimal point wise, more than two to one, but essentially two to one. There are sixteen. Um, individuals that are there that defend Ran. 15 if you don't count a very particular brown sister who technically by technicality isn't one of their allies but definitely isn't an enemy definitely is an ally we, we all know what Varen does but even then if you count 15 more than 2 to 1 oppose the forces of the shadow because yeah so in the Force of the Shadow, you have um, you have Arangar, um, you have Sindin, who is of course the reborn uh, Landfear. You have Demondred, Grendel, Mogidian, uh, Simarog, and Osengar. And Osengar is reborn Aganor, and Arangar is reborn Bothamel, right? Right. Wait. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, of the forces of the enemy, you have three that have been reborn. 
including one of the ones reborn. You have two that are mind trapped into being there. And you got the guy who should have the most disposable power, the Nay Bliss. That's just like, no, I'm go. Cool. I'll just chill. You I guys like got how, this. I like how though that even the Forsaken are like, gee, like how much power is being wielded? Shit. Like even the Forsaken yeah. are a little wary at this point. And I really like that. That's a lot of fun. That's a good time. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what about, about you, the male Ashaman that was a forsaken? Are you talking about Dashiva? Dashiva. That is exactly right. who they're talking about. And isn't he, um, isn't he one of the ones you mentioned? Uh, I think he's, isn't he Arangar? I thought he was Arangar. That's what I said. Isn't he Arangar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's That's Osengar. Osengar. He's Osengar. Okay. Osengar. The Shiva is Osengar, who is the reborn Aaron. So yeah, um, I counted him. That's what I thought. I but, counted him yeah. amongst the enemy. Yes, but but good, but definitely good catch there. Um, um, for those of you that don't know why I'm saying good catch and who I'm saying good catch to, uh, come over to the live chat, join our Patreon. It's a lot of right. fun. Um, especially now that we have like two two really really good. Uh, knowledgeable individuals in here. We have our official fact checker uh, and his competition, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, it's, it's crazy because like most of the time you see the forces of light, they're grossly outnumbered. They're grossly in a terrible position. Yes. And for this pivotal moment, they're actually not. They're actually in a super advantageous position. And to add advantage to advantage, which says everybody who plays D&D just went, you can't do that. Um, I had Cad Swain there, and Cad Swain is just sitting there like a third age channeling rendition of radar. Oh yes. no, they're over there. Oh, they're over there. Just, just throw. She's literally telling people I to love- just throw fire and lightning at mountaintops, and they're like, "But there's nobody yeah. there." And she's like, "If you wait, it's too late." Yep. She's like, and she's got her little paralysis net, and one of them is a detector for Sidine, and one of them is a detector for Sidar, and and it's like. Soup over there. She's like, there! And they're like, kill that! Over there. Just everything in that general direction. Kill. Which, you know, Ashaman are pretty good at. I was born for this. Molded by it. (laughs) Taim didn't let me wash my own clothes with hands until I was already a man. Love it! What's up, Daniel? Oh, I said this. There is the one sad part about that scene, which is that they do lose Anne Ashapon. That's true. It's true. Oh, is this um, uh, is this where the ones like driven to like a childlike mindset? No, Aaron oh, Gar. That's actually kills... when uh, Eben Hopwell is when yeah. is when Eben Hopwell dies. Uh, the other one is when oh yeah, Rand gets attacked in Kyrian. Um, Somebody hits um, another one, and I do not remember his name off the top of my head. Um, that's when he turns a child, and yes. Rand administers the uh, the you need to go sleep for. <laughs> yeah, because even is the one that reveals that Arangar uh, is channeling Sidine. Yeah, that's right. 
because Arangar um, at this point in time is in the in the body of a of a very voluptuous lady. Yes. Pretty cool. I love how I, though it was like your 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 scene, and I just like pseudo monopolize like the explanation oh, of it. <laughs> no, you're good because it was awesome. I mean that that's part of what I love about that scene is that it's so simple and so big and complicated at the same time. And there's just so much to unravel there. I mean, we could probably do an episode about cleansing of Sidene. We probably should. Let's add that to the list of tangents. That, you know what? Uh, We're going we to put that on the list. We're going to put that on the list. Um, are we ready for the next moment? Mine. We're, We're uh, ready. We're ready. Uh, I'm going to go with one that tugs at the heartstrings for sure. It's one of the earliest tugs on the heartstrings. It comes from the Great Hunt. It is, of course, Ingtar's Last Stand. Oh, Ingtar. It is so good. A story of desperation. It is a story of hope. It is a story that actually, contradictory to what the White Cloaks do, actually emboldens their biggest ideology that no one is so far going to the shadow that they cannot return to the light. That's right. And that's exactly what Ingtar does and was prophesied to do. That's one of the crazy parts. It was prophesied. It was a prophecy that five would ride forth and only four would return. Yep. And Ingtar True. sees the Sean Chan coming with all their insect helmet bullshit and says, you know what? No, here, here is where I make amends for doing some really, really shitty stuff. Well, and Ingtar at this point in time is kind of, you know, you don't, you don't know about him. He's, he's got this zeal that is questionable. You, you don't know, like, it, it's like, dude, you're trying way too hard here. And you don't know what's going on, but he keeps going forward and going forward. And by the end, you're like, yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. God, you're just like a bad dude. Like, you're just awesome. And then when he's like, when he takes his final moment, he's like, no, I'm, I'm doing this to protect you. And I want you to tell them you know, and it just, and you find out that Emmett Daniel, his affiliations, and you find out his feelings about that, and using it's all that at moment, one time, like that's the craziest part. It's all at one time, mm. in the same stroke. Uh, you have to deal with the peril that they're not going to get away. Then he's like, I'm going to stand here because there's nothing about Ingtar really that makes you not like the guy leading up to this point. Right. Like there might be a couple sketchy moments, a couple like, oh, I don't know why he's like that, but okay. And it's like now it's like, oh, okay. He's going to give his life for, for other people. That's definitely the soldier thing to do. And what turns it all on its head is his revelation. Uh, I gave my soul over to the shadow, uh, but I hadn't because he didn't really have much of a choice. Um, no. he did it for his family, so he did one of the he did a, a, a terrible thing for the most noble reasons. You yes. know, trying to save his family, he agreed to serve the dark, 
that's when we find out how the Dark Friends got into Faldara and how all of this happened. Ingtar let them in. Uh, and it's a nice... It's, it's a nice, within the same book, culmination of the Ingtar arc. He yes. is the one that allowed Dark Friends into Faldar. He is the reason Pat and Fane and everybody else escapes and steals the horn and yes. the dagger from Shadar Logoth. And he rounds out his own kind of story arc in the same book, uh, which is not unheard of, but relatively rare for Will of Time. Yeah, no, I, Ingtar is, is a, is a really great example of a character doing the best that they can while also, God, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the right words for it because he, he's kind of like, he's kind of like walking the line, right? He's kind of walking a tightrope. He's kind of like, I'm going to join the Shadow to save my family, but I'm also going to not, I mean, and he, he's, he's, he's trying his hardest. He's, he's doing what he legitimately thinks is the best thing to do. And as such, he's not really affecting any sort of change or intentionality in the world around him. And in this moment where he realizes he's about to die, he's faced with his own mortality, and he goes, you know what? My entire life I've done what I think was right. I did what I thought was the right thing to do, and I've been, a, I've been in the passenger seat in my own vehicle of life, and I don't like that. I'm about to die having accomplished nothing and my soul is now bound to the shadow so what did it what did it do for me what did it do for me in the end absolutely nothing and he kind of has this moment where he says no not good enough i refuse to partake i refuse to continue this is the moment where i make my stand this is the moment where i save the dragon reborn so he can save the world. And I hope that what I do here is enough to allow my soul back to the light. And it just, it's such a powerful moment. He's Rocco. Well, and I love two things about this. Um, the two things that I love about this scene are, A, it kind of, it's either a parallel in some ways to Varen later on in the series where since Intar knows that he's dying their way uh, because he has now made a decision that is what gets him killed um, one of two things is true either uh, as a dark friend uh, he has taken oaths that mean that he can't do it until the hour of his death and so he's using that loophole or yep. He's standing there being like, uh, I have made oaths, but they don't mean anything because I'm just going to go buy you time. And if the, you know, if the Dark One takes my soul now and I end up dying, it's what I was going to do anyway. So it doesn't freaking matter. Um, right. And I, that sort of thought process that he has. And the other thing that I love about this scene is uh, the line that, that Morshadi actually just put into the live chat 
which is Rand's last line to him is the sort of like most honorable death funeral, you know, whatever rates that you can get in Shinar or in really the borderlands in general. I right. Think. Um, right. And he tells the Dintar knowing what he's done. And Herin is like, you can't see, like, he doesn't say anything, but he gasps. Like, <laughs> he, he's kind of sitting there being like, what is, you, you can't do that. <laughs> I don't know if we lost Daniel, Daniel again. Yeah, I think we, I think we're losing him again. No, but no, but it's it's cool because like the whole reason he's doing this is because the shadow continuously threatens his family. Do what I say. Do what we say. Do what Shaitan wills, or we'll kill your family. And. Uh, I think they can all still hear Daniel in Discord, but we can't hear him here in Zoom yet. Oh, yeah, we lost him in Zoom. But and in this one stroke, he his ulti, his goal this entire, an entire time has been like keeping his family safe. And okay, you don't okay. I saw his little like light thing light up, but anyway, um, he accomplishes his goal of protecting his family while also redeeming his soul. Because without him to be there to be manipulated, there's no reason to threaten his family because his family is in no standing to affect change or intercede for the shadow. Right. So his family is now safe. He's redeemed himself, um, at least partially in the eyes of the light. He's helped res- uh, right the wrongs that he at least partially enabled. Um. It's a really nice wrap-up within the same book, and I, I that might be one of the parts of it that I enjoy the most. It's not an arc. We have to wait two, three, four books for it to be wrapped up, you know? Yeah. No, it's 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 there. It's one and done. It's a good one. It's a good one, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I love it. We have Daniel back. I think he's next. Yeah, Daniel, hit it up. What's the next love of Wheel of Time that you love? I'm going to say that sort of the second one that I have, the one that is is number two, is actually um, in the very last book. Uh, it is the moment where Logan decides that he is a hero, basically. Um, it's that moment where he looks out and he sees the opportunity for glory uh, and he sees the opportunity for helping, and he chooses to help uh, rather than to forward his own agenda. And I think that that is—it's definitely a thing that he has done in the past in some ways, because there are other things that he could be doing than what he is currently doing um, at a number of times in the books. But this is like a very direct, very like one-to-one kind of situation where he's looking at my life could go this way or this way from this point. Um, and I, I love that moment where he decides like for himself and for um, like in a really meaningful way, I am going to go this way rather than that. 
Now, that one is actually a storyline for a character that we have to wait many, many, many books for. That's true. Oh, I I like that too because I I think I think in that moment you can say that moment is the birth of the tower. Um, and I don't mean obviously we've had the black tower you know for numerous books now. But the entire time, it's essentially been, oh, 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 go, Andrew. I just had what I feel is a groundbreaking thought, but I know people have brought it up before. One of the core themes of the Wheel of Time is balance, right? Right. The White Tower stands, is, is built, stands, is broken, then is rebuilt, reunited, stronger than ever. The Black Tower is built, breaks with Taim and Loghain. And the Civil War there, and then is rebuilt stronger than ever. I feel like I just feel like I had a mental epiphany that everybody else said, "Yeah, I had that five years ago." But I'm gonna. No, I I really I really like that. That's a good cut. It was worth it. It also it also underscores well, how and I love how related they are. I love cycle, like you said. those two Civil Wars. Yeah. Well, and I love how those two civil wars sort of in both towers are executed so differently. Um, but at the same time, they are the same, if you will. It's the same problem. It's just different as that executions of what actually that looks like. And yes. granted, I mean, like, I will say that obviously the, the situations are totally different in terms of this one's new and this one's been around for like, you know, thousand years <laughs> or three thousand years or whatever it is. Uh, but at the same time, like it is still, I love that you can have the same storyline that gets told two completely different ways, um, and they can both still be the same storyline with a you know very very similar uh, theme and a very similar lesson in some ways in completely and utterly. Um, and so, so what I was saying about this is we've, we've had the, the Black Tower this, you know, for, for many, many books now. And it's been largely leaderless, though. Now, granted, we give Taim a lot of credit for founding the tower and, and, and recruiting and organizing recruiting parties. But you can make the argument that he wasn't actually building a tower on the foundation of any kind of mission other than to recruit for the shadow. So once Taim is destroyed, the civil war, the, the, the civil war at the tower has been fought and won by the forces of light. And now people look to Loghain as the new leadership. And he has that moment, like, like you were saying, he has that moment where he goes, I have a choice, personal glory or to build up this organization and, and be a leader in the community and, and protect the weak kind of a scenario. And he gives up on the, the Sangreal that he was looking for and he starts organizing, uh, you know, survival and refugee holding areas. And, and gateways for healing, and, and he just he just picks up the reins. And 
I really feel like the Black Tower of the Fourth Age is born in the fire and blood of the last battle. Well, and I love that you brought that up because I think that it's it's very telling and it's very interesting to me for the sort of the two um, combating things about the mission for the Black Tower, but both people in a lot of ways, at least at the time that the Black Tower starts, don't think that many of them, if any of them, are actually going to make it past the last battle. Because, That's of course, true. Rand goes, I need weapons. And they're probably all going to die during Tarman Gaiden. And that is kind of okay. I mean, like, obviously, I'm not really okay with it. But, like, I don't really have an alternative here. So, right. we need weapons. Make me weapons. Uh, if they all shatter in the last battle, so be it. And Taim goes, well, I'm going to recruit for the Shadow, and I'm going to go ahead and turn a shit ton of people at the Black Tower, um, and then in the last battle, they're going to fight for us, and then the wheel will be broken. And it won't matter, because right. then time will be done. Um, and then, of course, you have Loghain, who comes in as a later addition. Um, and his entire role at that point is to stop Taim from doing what he wants. So nobody's actually really thinking about a post-Harmon Guide battle or a, a post-Harmon Guide Black Tower until this moment. Yeah. Like, this is the moment where, as you said, it's sort of like the fourth age Black Tower is birthed in this thought by Logan because it's the first time that anybody's really sat down or even like thought what happens. Yeah now what happens they've now? all been thinking what happens at this point but what happens now they didn't practice their golf swing they didn't follow through the hit and <laughs> thankfully they still got a hole in one well i don't know if i'd call it a hole in one it was at least a par uh, two par three it's, it's birdie they got a birdie okay that's oh. fair enough <laughs> <laughs> And all that, it was a great moment. That was a good moment. And I mean, and, and, you know, Logan gets a little bit of an immediate uh, gratification where people start coming to him and they say, when our sons are old enough, we'll bring them to you for testing. And he's just kind of like, why? Oh, oh, that's right. We're the good guys. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you know how hard it was to not say that, like, Anytime I've gone to get a COVID test. It's <laughs> like, well, my sons are old enough. I shall bring them to you for testing. <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. What about you? Andrew? I swear. You, if one, if one of them had a had a, a, a will of time tattoo or memorabilia, anything at all, I would have definitely said it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No holes barred. That would have been epic. Oh. The best part would have been them looking at you and being like, what? And then you being like pointing at their tattoo or something and being like, oh, I didn't finish the series. Why do you have to ruin it, Daniel? It was such a beautiful thought. That's Why that's how my life it? would go, though. That's like, uh, I gave like the idea, like the ideal take. Daniel came in with the most realistic take. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, that's fair. Oh my god. Well, let's see. Um where do I go? Because there's there's a lot of really 
feel good moments that I think are really good honorable mentions, but try try and find the one that just <laughs> had you like in its grasp as you were reading. Uh, that's, at okay. least that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. For 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 feel good reasons, not for like, oh shit. Um it could be oh shit. Well, not not the good kind of oh shit. Because anytime anybody says like, "What's that scene that grabbed you and just made you like have a visceral reaction to?" It's uh, it's that's fair. During the Trolloc siege of the Stone of Tear, uh, with the with the girl, the the little girl, yeah, that yeah. he tries to cast Ray's dead on and rolls on that, that one. Was rough. That was rough. Um, but hmm. I'm I'm gonna go with Rand standing uh Rand's moment atop Dragon Mount. Which is not what I thought I was about to say, but that's what I'm gonna go with. So good. Oh. Because you've had this tension with Rand and his mental struggles and his inner monologues with who he thought was loose there, but was just, you know, some, some DID going on. Um, it finally culminates in a point, and it, it seems like a bit of a precursor, kind of foreshadow with almost thing to the last battle, but like, this is a make it or break it moment. Right. And obviously, it's preceded by Tam showing up, which uh, I wasn't going to just include in the same scene. Uh but, well, but you get this really heartwarming moment. Yeah. Well, you get a heartwarming moment with Tam showing up and Rand and Tam being finally reunited for the first time in all but what two books since book one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Since book one, and then you get this heartbreak of Rand almost killing his dad, and then it the heartbreak continues to Rand having this whole crazy monologue in his head. Uh, finally, like, it's it's a bit of a, like, an emotional angry release of how he feels, where he's just, like, mentally laying out everything that he's been dealing with and feeling and the expectations that he feels like the world has of him and all this stuff, and he gets to this defining moment where he's either going to uh, self-toaster bath or not. Um, and through the build up to that, uh, comes away. Uh, you can you can say healing some of it or segmenting it off. Uh, I think more ultimately, it was um, standing on the the edge of a precipice of a void, and it forcing his brain to go, "Hey, this is who you are," and it forces his mind and mentality into a into a, a segment where. He's uh, he's like, this is who I am. And he finally accepts who he is. Loose Aaron voice goes away because it was never actually there to begin with. Uh, it wasn't actually like another soul or another voice inhabiting his mind. Um, he finally accepts who he is and comes away. And like immediately, immediately the world is better off for him having found peace within himself. So... It's like a, a 13, say, 13 book build up to a final release. Like that is the longest edging I have ever heard of. 
Can I just say I love I love the idea of Rand like standing up against the like standing right on the edge, and his brain and his body just like no no, no, no don't don't actually do that. We've actually been screwing with you for the last like two years, um, but now that you're actually going to take all of us down with you, it's time that we tell you something. <laughs> for real though. I, I think there's a couple things that I love about this scene in particular because it's, it's a nice callback to the theme that we've discussed over and over again on the show. And that is that the only difference between good people and evil people in this story is that good people had a support structure. They had people there with them. Um, and in every single one of these cases where Rand is making one of these big, huge, uh, earth-shattering moments, he's got someone there with him. Um, now, he doesn't know it in this particular case, but Perrin is in the dream world, standing there watching him kind of go. And, and at this point in time, I think Rand is like doing this weird phase thing where he's like in and out like the pattern is really really thin around him he is like ready to just bail fire he's ready to he's ready to throw bail fire through the choden call key and just hit everything he's ready to just be like let's just let's just end it all right now is is this perhaps the tantamount tavern at Nate, uh, at work the tavern Could needs be. the anchor point to affect change in the pattern rand yeah. being at least equally strong, but generally the strongest Taviran of the three. This is Taviran giving a glimpse of what is actively happening in the real world, in the waking world. And two. Or wait, no. Yeah, I mean, yes, but also no. Because Rand at this point, he's not just talking about bail firing, like physically the mountain and everything. He feels that with the Choden Call and this much power, he can bail fire creation itself. That he can bail fire the yes. Lace of Ages. So is he drawing so much? And because his headspace is in this point, he is physically kind of everywhere, but also nowhere. This kind of omnipresence, it's through like a sort of like weird Traveran astral projection nature kind of thing. And because of that, Perrin can see him and Teleron Riyad and yeah. actively engage with him rather than somebody that just sporadically steps in and out. Well, yes. and, and I love the parallel that this gives between the original time that the dragon felt hopeless. Um, and this, because what happened the first time the dragon felt hopeless? It was Luz Theron. He had just gone through some very traumatic things. Um, he had killed a lot of people. <laughs> and then he balefires himself, right. basically, into a volcano. Um, and this time, Rand is thinking about doing the exact same thing to a certain extent, except that now the Choden collar bit, and he can just grab from there and go... I can finish what the original dragon started with this <laughs> um, and just 
you know, call it down on not only this point, not only just me, not on this this mountain here, but literally everywhere all at once. Everywhere, all the time, all at once. Right. Um, and he decides not to, which is the right choice. But it's definitely still a, a parallel of the hopelessness yeah. that Louis Theron feels when he is brought up to basically the same situation. Obviously, it's it's different in event, but like it's still at that point where he has done something so horrendous and feels so much shame and so much guilt and so much hopelessness um, that he does not feel like there is salvation. And Rand comes out the other side with salvation. Luz does not. Um, and that's the difference between this dragon and that dragon. But it's a, it's a great parallel moment that I think, you know, Robert Jordan just does these so well of the, the callback of the, the, this isn't just an off event. I've been thinking about this um, and planning this since I did the prologue of book one, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, or at least, you know, if I wasn't thinking about it at the prologue, right. I've thought about it later and went, ooh, how can I prologue back? Um, and it's it's a brilliant style of writing that really does bring everything. There, there's another mirroring in there because Luz Theron and the Hunter Companions ride forth because they reject the plan of using the Choden Call. And when Ran stands atop Dragon Mount, struggling with his own sense of self and identity and what's happened to the world, he again, as the same soul, rejects the Choden Call as the answer. Ooh, good call. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right there. Crazy. I'm having brain blast today, guys. I'm too dangerous to be to be around this. Someone's been drinking their dubby. Yes. He's dangerous <laughs> to be around normal people. No, like and this is one of the fun things about listening to other people talk about this kind of stuff. Uh subtle plug for why you should go and listen to panels at different conventions. Um is that as other people are thinking, like things come into mind and like I, I literally like there's that's the second kind of quote unquote mental revelation uh, that I've had uh, this episode. And it's the, this parallel of 3,000 years ago, Luz Theron rejected the Chonicles. So that is not the answer to stop the world's evil. And Rand is sitting here facing the same question. How do I stop the evil in the world? How do I make a better world? And he has the male Choden call. And he's pulling through it. And he's like, I can literally obliterate creation, which is terrifying. And ultimately, he rejects the notion that the Choden call is the answer. Which, I'm not going to lie. Kind of feels like maybe Robert Jordan saying something about a certain thermobaric style weapon that has been used in human history. Like, hey, maybe we don't go for the nuclear option. Well, and, and that's a really great point, you know, and as, and as we know, we've seen, you know, numerous different uh, callbacks to reality in real life and 
mistakes that governments and people have made and you know only to they do things and only to find out you know 10 years later oh yeah that was a mistake that was that was definitely not what we should have done there um no i i really like that that he rejects the choden call as the answer because that you're, you're absolutely right he he does make the correct decision and based on that, is able to. I don't think he uses it again, does he? He destroys it, right? He doesn't. Um, he doesn't destroy it, but he also doesn't ever use it again. Um, but but one thing I actually want to add here is I think I just had sort of a revelation as well, uh, just like our our buddy Andrew here, um, because of course, thinking about what you just said as far as atomic bombs are concerned and such. Um, yes, he does reject sort of the nuclear option uh, when it's bad, when it's going to hurt people, when it's actually going to do destructive things. But what does he use the Chodan call for? So it's not necessarily saying that nuclear whatever is actually bad. It's just that what are you using it for? What are, are you, you advocating for nuclear energy right now? Is this a nuclear energy sponsorship commercial? <laughs> I'm not necessarily advocating for anything, <laughs> but I'm saying that I think Robert Jordan was making a little bit of a point of not everything can, or if used correctly, Oh, and he does destroy it. He does shatter the oh, uh, Texas. That, that's he what does. I thought. Which actually I read, uh, which is no different than me reading what Morshadi said, but yes, um, he pulls in as much power as he can through the saw on Grail Axis key, and is like, you know what? No, this isn't the answer, and pushes it all back into or through the, the Axis key that's again, right. purposefully destroying it. Yes. Oh, that's uh, but, a good yeah. one. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, I went through a lot of stuff uh, when I was thinking. So have we all done two? Uh, I think so. Josh has not done a second. Oh. I didn't think so. Josh, you're second, and then my... we'll we'll fast rattle off some like honorable mentions, maybe. So my 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 scene that I just absolutely loved is uh, the forging of Mahalanir. That it it's just too good. Um. Perrin gets into his into his head. He he's just kind of tink tink tap tap tink tink. What am I doing? What am I doing? Where am I going? What am I trying to do? How am I doing this? Um, and one of the Ashman, you know, just trying to be nice, comes over and is like, "Hey, you know, if you want, I can just heat that up for you." And and. Uh, I think he says he, he's going to channel to keep the metal hot, so it doesn't have to keep yeah. putting it back in the, yeah, in yeah. the furnace. He's like, I can yeah. just I can just keep that warm for you, so you don't have to keep going back and forth. And Perrin goes, Yeah, hey, thanks, I appreciate that. Uh, just keep it to about a yellow, you know, mild yellow color. Um, and he goes, Cool, yeah. So he starts channeling into it, brightens up the metal, and then Perrin just like goes right back into what he was doing. Doesn't care doesn't notice a damn thing and it's just tink 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 and he's thinking and he's in his and around him 
is this chaotic scene because a couple of other Ashman start looking, hey, what are you doing? He goes, I don't know. It just it just feels right. And he's channeling into this thing, and they're like, that's not fire anymore. That's fire and earth and spirit. And that's oh my God. And so other Ashamans start coming over and he's like doing his thing and it's getting real intense and he's starting to sweat. And so they're like, here, link, 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 link. And then the wise ones come over and they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't know. It just feels right. And they're like, everyone who can channel get over here right now. And they start like linking in shifts. A, to see what he's doing and learn how to do it. And B, because it's so physically exhausting that he's sweating and collapsing and just, it's all he can do to keep his focus. And in the meantime, Perrin's over here, tink, 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 tink. What am I trying to do? Who am I trying to be? What do I need? What do I need? What do the people need? And he's just in it, man. He's so deep in it. And... So deep in it. (laughs) You have these, you have these beautiful scenes of writing where it's, it's, it's this chaos juxtaposed with this serenity that is, it's amazing. And at the end of it all, (laughs) at the end of it all, Perrin raises Mahalanir and he's like, this is awesome looks down at the hammer he was working with and it's worn down to the nub, looks around him, the grass and vegetation has been scoured, scorched, and is all like blown away like a big explosion just happened. And all of the channelers, like every last channeler is sitting around going, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and he's just like, sup guys? <laughs> and it's, it's so, and then of course, you know, he wields it for the first time. And he blasts a friggin' trollic in the head with it. And it just, it's glorious. It's glorious. It's glorious. Another, another example of Sidene and Sidere being used together. Yes. Right? But Absolutely. It's, so Perrin always remarks that it feels warm to the touch. And using it against trollics, uh, and honestly, anyone that receives one of its blows, uh, it burns them. Right. But that's not even the most incredible feat that it has. Smite damage. Yeah, that's searing. It's a permanent cast of searing smite. <laughs> that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> but the most incredible thing is you have dark hounds, which previously have only ever been destroyed by one weave, Balefire. Yep. Yeah. And then Parrot shows up yes. with a hammer. With a wedge on the back end of it and goes, oh, you have Bellfire? I raise you Ma'alanir. And it's capable of permanently killing Dark Hounds. Bruh. Do you know what I love about that? Is their popular fan theory states that a piece of Hopper's soul is imbued into Ma'alanir. All the wolves will attack uh, the hellhounds on site without without command without uh, without you know any sort of compulsion 
they, they, no, they don't mess with that at all. And so to have that element of like the soul of, of a wolf in there and just, I love that so much. I love it so much. I mean, it's, it's this really nice. Go ahead. Um, but I do want to let you guys know, I am actually about to run out of batteries on my <laughs> laptop. There's not a plug here for me to plug into. Um, so I am actually going to say, I'm glad that I stayed to hear uh, your last sort of one that we love. Please keep going with the episode. You guys have more to say. Um, uh, but I am going to say goodbye to everyone. But thank you for having me, uh, even on the road. Um, and I will get back to it so that I can see you guys in... Uh, about a week. About a week. Well, thanks and for making I'll it, dude. Seriously, absolutely. We appreciate it. Then we'll actually there. see you perfectly the next day. So awesome. Uh, so finish up. You guys are talking great, and I fucking love you guys. Um, and I will see you guys soon. Sounds great, man. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Uh, so more studies, right? Power rock weapons still stop dark friends. They do actually harm them versus conventional weapons. Uh, there's so many D and D parallels. Oh, Dark yeah. Hounds are resistant to or are immune to non-magical damage, but if you silver your weapon, aka make it power rot, uh, they're not. Uh, but they're not necessarily killed by it. But yes, Malinir does straight up one-shot them. Um, yes. Some of what I'm pulling from uh, may be erroneous information uh, because instead of going back through and reading through everything for every episode, because we are not known for our preparation, especially I. Ah. Um, I do pull from internet aids. So uh, uh, there is that. And the one I have says that it does uh, do shadow spawn and anyone else on the receiving end of his blows. Uh, though there's no like hints as to it being a certain type of uh, a wielder. But could definitely be very wrong about that. I do feel like reading it seemed like it was only shadow spawn. Um, this might just be like a typo on uh, what we're using, but. Uh, yeah. Goliath Great Hammer. Hmm. So, um, uh, maybe we can do some notable mentions and then some quick final thoughts and then we can wrap this up. I'm in. I'm down. Uh, so, honorable mentions... For me, um, I, I kind of already mentioned like the the Tam and Rand reunion. Um, trying to think of what other ones. Um, Honorable mentions for me: uh, Andral training the Two Rivers soldiers at the Black Tower and telling them they make them right in the Two Rivers, and just complimenting their attention to detail, their precision, and their freaking longbows. Yeah. Um, I'm going to save the ending uh, of the Eye of the World. Uh, this kind of final battle. Because uh, for me, it really sets in stone and really displays to the reader why the Dragon Reborn is such a pivotal revered and uh, feared character um, by the sheer volume of power that he wields. I like it. And that really sets the Dragon Reborn soul apart from the others. I like that. Um, 
Matt's wrestling of Moraine. Oh, yeah. That, the callback there where Oliver is playing snakes and foxes and actually wins the unwinnable game while Nat is winning the unwinnable game. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely brilliant. Um, honorable mention, Egwene fighting the Sean Chan. God, such a great, such a great part. Yeah, that's a really good one. So um, many things just that I just love about this series. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Varen Sedai. Everything about Varen Sedai. Um, I'd say most things. I wasn't a big fan of how she pushed the uh, Portal Stones thing, but... Well, I mean... Like, but that to me was also like kind of one of the sketchiest things she did. That yeah. that was the point, and, I, and it might, I think it might have been intentionally written for you to kind of look at Varen and be like, eh, in addition to the uh, Maureen <laughs> didn't really send you shit. Uh, this is kind of sketch. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, that's a good point too. Let's see. Uh, Yeah, so that's Andrel, uh, the what's-his-name-in-the-black-tower who's weak except gateways. That's Andrel. Oh, yeah, Andrel. Um, Andrel and Pavara is just a treat every time they're on page. Oh, yes. And uh, oh, I yes. expect them to be a treat every time they're on screen. Um, I, Andrel and Pavara, the, the dynamic there is amazing. I agree. Yeah. Um, it's just a good series. There's so many great pieces. To, I mean, Demise Wells is, is, a, is a constant. Was, literally about to say that <laughs> well, oh um I, I feel like i keep thinking of once and then i keep forgetting them um yeah uh for set of rising glass columns i agree more shoddy lords of chaos duh i don't remember that chapter uh <laughs> crown of swords uh Nynaeve's unblocking Oh, oh yeah, Nynaeve getting around her block. Yeah, that was brilliant. That was absolutely beautiful. Nynaeve being forced to get over her block. I mean, yeah. it was literally a it was literally a sink or swim moment. So, it yes, I mean in 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 every way that matters. Yeah, um, the best scene in the entire series: uh, fires of heaven, sex at glue. You know the far snow. That's right. That's right. That's right. There's just there's just any way you slice it, any way you look at it, it's it's a amazing series, and there's so much there to love, and there's so much to to chew on and to 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 dig into. And you know, as as final thoughts for this episode go, is you know, this is this is kind of an easy one because this is what we do. We love the books, we love everything about them. I mean, there are things obviously we don't love because we just did that episode as well. <laughs> but um, it's just a really great series. And, you know, anytime anybody asks me about it, I tell them, this is what you need to read because if you like fantasy, you'll love this book or these books. Um, as far as the scenes that we love, you know, there's, I think the other thing that's really important there is that there's so many different reasons we love them. Um, some of them we like the story. Some of them we like the the writing, how the writing was done, and it's just it adds 
just such a, a beautiful and diverse experience. And I absolutely love it. Andrew, what are your, your final thoughts? Uh, I mean, I can go the super cheesy route of saying, you know, to, to one extent or another, for one reason or another, every scene uh, from The Will of Time is a favorite scene. Uh, every moment from The Will of Time is a favorite moment because uh, we're lucky enough to be involved with and part of uh, communities that have been having discussions since book one came out. Oh, yeah. About, you know, it started off as, what does this mean? And what's going to happen in the next book as everybody was waiting for, you know, Robert Jordan to finish and then Brandon Sanderson and, and everything. Uh, and then it cascaded into, well, what stuff have we not figured out yet? What caught, you know, how did Rand light his pipe? Who was Nakomi? You know, we still have these, these unanswered questions that maybe we'll get an answer to whenever uh, Origins of Wheel of Time comes out uh, or what Origins or the title, whatever the title of the book is, because I'm fucking terrible at remembering. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, like, there, almost every scene in the book can be broken down and become a point of of conversation. Yeah. Uh, and you need no, no further than the absolute litany of, uh, of podcasts and YouTube channels and artists and musicians and all that have uh, arisen from this. I mean, just imagine the pure insanity of that. One guy started conceptualizing a story, brought in uh, friends and family and professionals to help edit, to help vet, to help publish a book series. And now there are literally thousands upon thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that are getting to watch uh, the, the series retold on, on TV. And there are the same amount of people that are listening to, uh, in our case, morons with microphones and internet access, talk about it for an hour to hour and a half every week and put out stuff there. And people come in and they listen and they yeah. give feedback and they talk about it and they engage with us and they tell us what we're wrong and they tell us what we're right. And they, you guys tell us like things you know, why didn't you think about it this way? Or, hey, I didn't think about it the way you said. I thought about it like this. And these conversations have been happening for literal decades now. So to be the sappy, cliche, cop-out answer, every scene uh, of The Wheel of Time is my favorite scene. Might be yes. most my most hated of The Wheel of Time scenes. I don't have to agree with every scene. But uh, it's just incredible because there's such an incredible fandom and community that's grown out of it. I feel like I've just like politicianed the shit out of that answer. Nope. You did good. I'm with it. Well, thank you everyone for being here tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you. We hope that uh, you, you had a great time. We hope that uh, you, you heard some things you loved and we hope that you, uh, you thought about uh, things that you loved and uh, hope that uh, made you smile a little bit today. So uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for being awesome. Thank you for uh, conducting yourselves in an orderly fashion while waiting for your dose of taint. We very much appreciate that. Um, yeah. From all of us here at the Black Tower, I have been your Sorbonne Mahal, Josh. I have been your Bajan Mahal, Andrew. 
and here with us in spirit and also on the road, uh, waving the banner as he flies. He better have the flagpole and the banner behind him because I'm oh. sure he's on his on the bike. On the um, bike is our illustrious Amon Khan Mahal Daniel. Uh, we look forward to seeing as many of you as we can at WatCon. Uh, we hope you're there with us as you're listening to this publicly, uh, enjoying the festivities with us. If not, there's always next year along with Jordan Con. But for all of us here at the Black Tower Podcast, we hope you're having a fantastic morning. And in case we don't see you again, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.